Hey, welcome back everyone to Pocket Theology. I am here today with my buddy Martin. Martin, greet the people. Greetings, humans. I don't know what I expected, but that was that was good. Credit, credit, you used, credits to you. You used greet, so I had to greet them. Fair enough. Uh, this week, we are back to talking about evangelism. So Martin's going to be kind of our resident expert on evangelism and what it should look like. Specifically, we're going to ask the questions, when should I evangelize? And what methods can I use to evangelize? So Martin, let's start with that first question there. When should I be trying to tell people about the gospel? And if you want to throw in a little bit of a quick SparkNotes version of what evangelism is for people that may have missed previous episodes, that would be cool too. Absolutely. So evangelism is sharing your faith. It comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. Uh, And basically it is to bring the good news, to share good news with people. Essentially, evangelism is sharing the good news of Jesus and who he is with the people around you. One of the things that I think is really interesting first, I want to I add this because I don't think we've talked about this yet. Evangelism it does not require that you talk to somebody outside of the church. Martin Luther has a quote. Um, I don't know if it is actually him or not, or if somebody just said Martin Luther would be a cool dude to uh, have say this. But uh, it is preach the gospel to yourself, to remind yourself, essentially, of Jesus, who he is, his character, his love for you, and what he's done. If you want church to grow, not just your church, the church, like the big C church, then you should do it with people outside of the Christian faith. Um, But it's also a healthy tool to keep keep your mind uh, on track and to remind you to remember who Jesus is. So... That's my little Spark Notes version. As for when, uh, there is a really good story that I think shows it. So I do, I do want to say this before we get into it. Uh, it's super important to check your your reason when you're evangelizing. If you are evangelizing because the dude on stage on Sunday said, "Well, you just really need to share your faith." Or if you're evangelizing because grandma guilt tripped you into it, then I don't know that it's the right time to be doing it. If you're doing it because you love Jesus and you want to share that with the people around you, then you should start considering when to evangelize. So um, let's put a really fine point on that. For anyone who that went past you, what Martin's saying is a big part of why off the top or when off the top is you should evangelize when your heart and mind are in the right place. Is that, is that right? Yes. Okay. So that's, I want to make sure that doesn't go past anyone. That's good. So we're just, we're going to make that bullet point one. Um, When your heart and mind are in the right place, that's the first, the first criteria I would say for when. Um, And if, you know, if they're not in the right place, then spend some time, throughout the week, uh, figuring out why, uh, are you too, or are you being proud in doing so? Are you trying to bring people to Jesus so that you can say that you're an amazing Christian who brings people to Jesus? 
are you doing it because uh, your pastor has been talking about it a lot this week and uh, you kind of want to get them off your back like Jason? So, uh, Are or, you doing it because you are a pastor and you feel guilty about not talking to people outside of the church enough? Exactly. And so um, if your heart is right and your mind is right and you're doing this because you love Jesus, then you should look into the other criteria. So the second criteria, this one is more, um, the word Jason used priorly is airy. I want to share a story. So the first, the second criteria is going to be when the Holy Spirit is with you, uh, which I cannot tell you if the Holy Spirit is with you or not. You can, can't really tell me if the Holy Spirit is with me or not, but there are a few signs in scripture that if the Holy Spirit is with you, then a few things will happen. Um, the first wait, one, wait, Martin, Martin, Martin. I thought that the Holy Spirit was God and God is everywhere, though. Shut up. So isn't he always with me? Shut up. No, really, like ser- serious question. Someone asked you that from your congregation. How what's what's different about what you're talking about? So what I was actually going to get into this. Um, OK, I'm sorry. talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit. As in, you know, the spirit that, or what is it, translates utterances to God for us and is our mediator. The Holy Spirit that produces fruit in our lives. The Holy Spirit that empowers us to be better Christians, essentially. And that leads us into a process called sanctification, which is the process of becoming more like Jesus. I get um, okay. So you're not talking about like, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's with me on Wednesday, but not on Tuesday. You're talking about like when you're at a stage in your life where the Holy Spirit has been present with you. Yes. I got you. Okay. If if you're in a season, especially where um, you just, you feel like the spirit has really blessed you. uh, It's a really good time to share what's going on with the people around you. That'll get into methods a little bit. Uh, But I want to, I want to share this story out of Acts chapter two. Because Jason and I's churches that we serve in are from the Restoration Movement, and we love Acts, and that is where all of our theology comes from. He's being facetious, <laughs> by the way. I but am. yes, people from our tradition do really love Acts. So, in Acts chapter 2, what's happened so far, Jesus died, was resurrected, he spent 50 days with the people, and he ascends after that. And then as he's leaving, he tells the disciples to stay until the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then they should go out into the world. And so they stay huddled in this little room until all of a sudden, what verse 2 in Acts chapter 2 says, is suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. That's that's a fairly strong sign. It's not like, oh, my windows blew open or my screen door flipped a little bit. Like this is like a this is a serious like storm in your house kind of wind. A huge gust of wind blows through. Uh, it starts knocking things over, I would assume. And the disciples are like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Because conveniently in Hebrew, the word for spirit and the word for wind are the same. And so this huge wind comes through and they start to see uh, what they call tongues of fire above each other's heads. Jason has same in Greek. Well, I don't wind and spirit. Same word in Greek as well. Pneuma. That's my dog. That is your dog's name. 
Good for you. Anyways. So this huge wind blows through the house and they start to see what they call tongues of fire above each other's heads. They realize this is the sign. This is what Jesus told us. And so they go out and they they start preaching the gospel. They Peter stands up to a crowd on Pentecost, which the crowd I would presume was probably in multiple probably ten thousands plus. Thousands and thousands for sure. Five thousand yeah. people so get baptized. And presumably not everyone did. So gotta be a lot. Yeah. You're ruining my story. But I love you anyways. He starts preaching and the disciples are interpreting and what however you want to translate speaking in tongues. Um, but essentially the twelve disciples are all standing up on a hill. And they're preaching to this huge crowd, and everybody is hearing them in their first language, which is wild, first of all. And everybody is understanding the message that they're sharing. And that message is outlined pretty well like this. Peter starts off, and he talks about the signs that Jesus was the Messiah, the miracles he performed, the prophecies he fulfilled, the proof that he is who he said he was. And then the the people start to, they start jiving a little, you know, they can kind of see, okay, this guy was the Messiah. And then they start thinking about what happened to that guy. And Peter says, well, he died and you killed him. And he's, I like to think that he's trying to get at the idea that like your sin killed him or like your this killed him. But like, no, the Jews were responsible for his death. He is, he is placing this, uh, this sin on them so that they identify with it, first of all. Uh, and then as he, he begins preaching on that, one of the people in the crowd shouts out, what should we do to be saved? And Peter responds, repent and be baptized, all of you for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this story, which ends up with, I thought it was 3,000, but Jason said 5,000 people getting baptized which I'm going to check because I think you're wrong. 3,000. But uh, 3,000 people get baptized. And this is this huge group of people who have just placed their faith in Jesus. And this is how Peter starts off evangelism. This is, this is the, um, I w- don't want to say the precedent because I don't expect most of us to be preaching messages that, and in 3,000 people receiving Jesus and deciding to follow him. But this is the first time that we see something like this going on. This is the first time, especially since Jesus is left. I fully believe, because if you read through the message, it's not, you know, it's not the best sermon that I've ever heard. I'm going to be honest. I've heard a lot more clearer. I've heard a lot more, a lot more eloquent sermons. But what Peter has is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, which is doing all of this for him. He is letting the Holy Spirit respond in their lives through what he says. And so the second prerequisite for if you should evangelize is if you have the Spirit with you. Because if you do, people will respond. If you are if you are um, evangelizing with the Spirit and not you know, not trying to force the spirit to do anything, not trying to do, uh, trying to overpower him, 
then you will see people change. And that's what I think is so amazing about this process. That's really when you should, is when um, the spirit is working in your life and when you know that your motives are pure. When, uh, when you have, without a doubt, the Holy Spirit working in your life, and when you, when you have checked your mind and your heart and said, this is not for my glory, but God's, that is when I would say you should evangelize. And now you're going to ask me, well, how should we do it? And I have a few very simple ways to do this. So the first one, let people ask you questions. We are, especially as a church, we are so offended by people asking questions about what we believe when we could respond with love and in a way that is going to show the Jesus that we follow instead of getting defensive, instead of getting upset that people would even ask. And sometimes they, the questions might come out wrong. Sometimes they come out a little aggressive. Like, how can you believe in this Jesus guy? But Jesus dealt with a lot of aggressive people as well. And he never, you know, he only once flipped tables as far as we know and drove people out with a whip. And he was doing that to people who were in the process of worshiping Yahweh and doing it wrongly. So Exactly. It was never to yeah. people who were asking him questions. It was never to people who were aggressive with him. He responded in love to those people. And I think that's the first thing that you need to note in any evangelism strategy that you have is to respond with love. Second, don't expect people to become perfect Christians right away. We have a lot of times because we have, uh, we understand what sin is and we, we have this list of things that are no-nos, right? Well, we say, well, this person I can't evangelize to because they're doing this no-no. And in reality, Jesus spoke with the people who were doing all of the no-nos from the Jewish people, right? He spoke to prostitutes. He spoke to tax collectors. He spoke to a group of people that is generally just considered as sinners or bad people. He spoke to a woman who was a completely different race from him and that his his race really just didn't consider as people. All of these tell us that there are no no-nos that God really considers a disqualifier for the beginning of faith. You start to, when you start to figure out what scripture teaches and what the Holy Spirit convicts you of, then you can react on that. And that's not, that's not evangelism at that point. We would hope that they would be a believer at this point. They would be dedicated to reading. They would be dedicated to prayer. They would be asking that the Spirit would convict them so that they can live a life that aligns with God better. Um, and that all falls under discipleship. But So don't say no for people. Um, when somebody asks you a question, respond with love. Don't say no for people. And lastly, this one is what I really think is important. Um, have a relationship with them. And part of that goes with asking questions. I wouldn't ask a question to somebody that I don't trust or know very well, uh, especially on a worldview sort of question. But 
having a relationship with somebody that you're evangelizing to is going to be crucial to how well the conversation is going to go. Those, those are my three, three steps to great evangelism. Any good plan should follow those three steps. Start with love. Always respond with love. Don't say no for them. And make sure that you have a relationship. And so that's, that's really the gold standard right there. Otherwise, you can find books out there. I read a couple this last year, uh, Talk the Walk, which is one that I've mentioned three or four times since we started this. Evangelism is who the author escapes me currently. Uh, and then there's a few others that Jason and I have both read that I think we might both recommend. Uh, God for the Rest of Us is a good, good foundation. Telling the Truth, Finding the Truth, uh, two books kind of talk about the same thing, but they're going to be very, uh, they're going to point very far towards the postmodern group, and so they're going to be significant. If you're trying to talk to somebody who doesn't believe in absolute truth, or um, somebody who is going to respond with, well, you, you can just do your thing and I'll do my thing. So uh, those would be my resources. Really, there's not a perfect plan for evangelism. You have to change it as you meet new people. Um, but with those three steps, I think you'll be fairly successful. Yeah, another book, if you're working with people that are very... So postmodernism, if you guys don't know what it is, even if you don't know what it is, you have encountered it and been influenced by it. It's basically uh, the idea that all, or at least in practice, most truth is relative, that every individual or every group of individuals gets to decide what is moral, not moral, what works, what doesn't work for themselves. It's very individualistic. That's why Americans really like it. Um, if you're dealing with someone who it, they're hard to talk to about Jesus because their response is always, well, that works for you. And they're not even worried about the truth of it. They're saying, well, that works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Then another book you can add to that list is by Richard Knopp. He's a former professor at LCU, uh, Lincoln Christian University. The book is called Truth About God. And it's a really easy read. It is not deeply philosophical. So if you have a lot of philosophy training in your background and you pick it up, you'll probably be reading it and just kind of nodding your head like, yep, okay, got that, knew that, yep, okay, fine. Uh, but if you're if you're out of your depth having those sorts of conversations and you're like, I don't even know how to interact with people like this, great book to pick up, easy read, uh, and short. It's not going to take you very long. So I'd add that one to the list. Martin, I want to highlight one thing you said early on when you were talking about responding with love. You specifically said, let people ask questions. So why is it so important for us like as christians because if jesus is the truth then i should just be able to tell people the truth and they should just just get it so why is it so important for us to give people space to ask questions and then to answer them honestly and bonus question what do i do if someone asks me a question i don't know how to answer it okay i'm gonna attempt to answer those and if i forget one just remind me after so first why, is, why are questions important? Why does it matter that we let people ask questions? Well, I don't know if you guys have ever uh, struggled at anything that's really like a science kind of based thing. For me specifically, I would say math. Math is one of those things that is going to be pretty specific when you do it. There is one absolute right answer, right? And we would, we would consider faith to be the same way. 
we believe that Jesus is the one absolute answer. But if someone struggles with math, just pointing at the answer and saying it's right there has never helped anybody. One of the things that I was really glad I got to do when I was in high school, uh, I got to help out in an Algebra 1 class my senior year. Uh, I got to teach a couple of those kids. And one of the things that I learned very quickly was math is a very fast and easy pickup if you know it. But if you miss a few things, then it doesn't make sense. So for instance, pre-algebra taught us how to do an algebraic equation. But when we got to Algebra 1 and we were trying to make lines and we didn't remember how to do algebraic equations, it was super difficult to figure out how to do a line because we had to know how to do algebra for it. And so one of, one of the things that I would say is questions are important because it allows people to recognize that they may be wrong, first of all. It makes sure that they are in the right mindset that they can be corrected or that they can accept your answer. And if they're not, you know, whatever. You can just call them a jerk and walk away. Don't do that. Please don't don't do that. that. But questions are really important to how we learn in general because they do those things. They let us recognize that we might be wrong. They humble us a little bit uh, because we don't know the answer. And if you don't know what the question is, you can't answer it. And so if you are... You know, if your friend or your neighbor, we're going to say neighbor right now, we're going to pretend my neighbor's outside and I'm talking to them. And they say, hey, you work at a church, right? And I go, yeah. And they said, well, tell me a little bit about Jesus. But if I just start going off about the story of Jesus, right? And I talk about how um, Jesus was a man and God at the same time. And he died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected so that we could be forgiven we could be uh, reunited with God. We could we could be found holy in His sight, right? And that's that's what we condense the gospel to a lot of times. Yeah, nothing nothing you said was wrong. That's nothing all. Nothing I said was wrong. Valid. Yeah. But uh, if that's what I share with them, then there's there's a lot of questions. Unless you grew up in a church, first of all, what is sin? Why does sin exist? If God is good, which we also tend to claim pretty often, um, then why does sin exist in the first place, right? All of these questions come up when when you reduce the gospel to something like that. But I also don't know that those are the questions she's looking for answers for. You know, she could have family in Florida. And just a few weeks ago when the hurricane went through, she was terrified, right? And I don't know that she's trying to figure out why bad things happen. Otherwise, I could answer that, right? So it's very important to be able to let people ask you questions because they're going to be able to figure out what they want the answer to, first of all. And, you know, if you're a, if you are a secular humanist and you believe that things happen because of science, then why, why are bad things going on? Well, science. You know, a cold, what is it, a cold front and a warm front ran into each other in the ocean and they became a hurricane, right? Well, that doesn't, that doesn't tell us why all these people are dying, are dying or hurt, right? And yeah, so it tells us the, the way by which things happen, but not the purpose behind them, which is what people try to reach for. 
that's why I think questions are so important because a lot of times, first of all, in order to communicate the answer that somebody is looking for, you have to know what the question is. And sometimes they don't know what the question is. So it's not always on you. It's not always your fault that they don't get the answer, uh, which is important to note. Uh, sometimes they just haven't figured out how to word the question in a way that you can answer. And so uh, that's why I think questions are important. It's good practice. If that just sounds overwhelming to you, because it kind of does to me, like I work with people for a living, but I also end up doing a lot of my work alone just because of the nature of my job. It's very bizarre. You're either in front of groups of people or you're totally by yourself most of the time. And when I have these one-on-one conversations where someone can really like probe my brain, it can get nerve wracking because I know this person might ask me a question and there might be 10 other questions behind it. And there's really two things that helps me. One, and this is going to sound like corny pastor advice, but seriously do it. When you're about to have any sort of difficult conversation, evangelizing to someone, maybe you wronged someone and now you have to ask for forgiveness, whatever, any sort of difficult conversation, stop and pray. Even, even if someone just kind of like jumps you and you don't have a chance to like get on your knees and clasp your hands, just say a quick prayer in your mind and just say, Jesus, give me the wisdom to walk through this gracefully or something like that. Just really quick, just ask God to guide you in the conversation and to say things and do things that will honor him. So that's step one. That should always be step one. Step two is just remind yourself that if somebody, especially if they're approaching you and they're asking questions and they end up walking away, not satisfied because you didn't answer all their questions, you cannot be held liable (laughs) when they don't know what to ask. So they're coming to you and they say, tell me about Jesus. But in the back of their head, they're thinking about, well, you know, my family just really suffered because of a hurricane in Florida, like Martin's example, right? And I have family members that died or who lost everything. And I'm mad because I've always thought there's kind of a God, but I never thought too much about him. And now I'm thinking, how the heck could something like this happen if God is real? If if they are wondering that and they come to you and they say, well, tell me about Jesus. And that's all they ask. It's not your fault that you couldn't read their mind and figure out what was going on. So don't be too hard on yourself. So first of all, pray. Second of all, don't be too hard on yourself. I think that'll make those conversations a little bit less nerve wracking. But Martin, there is a second question that should be hopefully pretty easy to answer. If I'm having one of these conversations and say someone asks me, you know, why does God let bad things happen to good people? And I don't know how to answer that. You know, I do not have a well-developed theodicy. I don't have any theological training. I just go to church and I believe, you know, that God is sovereign and I trust him. But that's as far as my knowledge goes. How should I respond to a question that I don't have an answer to? So, first of all, Jason used a big word and didn't define it. Um, Theodicy is a study of why bad things happen, basically. Yeah, a a theodicy is an explanation for why evil can exist in the same universe as God. So if God is all good and all powerful, why does he let evil happen? And the answer to that question is called a theodicy. And there's lots of them. Yes. So if someone asks you a question and you do not feel equipped 
to answer that question, first say, hey, I don't really have a good answer, and then talk with them. You know, say, I can talk to my pastor this week and come talk to you after, or I can talk to someone who would know more in general, or I can introduce you to someone who would be a better person to answer this. Those, those are all solid, uh, solid answers to that. But I do want to, I do want to hammer this. If you don't know the answer to the question, you need to find it too. So if, you know, your pastor says, well, you know, we'll stick with the Odyssey, right? We'll stick with why bad things happen. So if you're talking to, we're going to, we're going to call your neighbor, Bobby. Uh, if you're talking to Bobby and Bobby asks you, well, why bad, why do bad things happen if God is good? And you say, I don't know. Let me, let me talk to uh, Pastor Jason about this. And so you talk to Jason and Jason says, well, bad things happen because not, you know, the world doesn't work as a system. Job teaches us that good people do not always get good things and bad people do not always get bad things. And sometimes we just have to accept that, right? And, you know, you, you take that answer, you repeat it word for word to Bobby. And then the next week, you've already forgotten it. You have no idea anymore, right? Then you're not learning. And that's the purpose. The purpose of asking questions is to learn. You're not learning the answer. You're not learning your theology. Uh, that's super important. If someone asks you a question and you are not able to answer, please, 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 please. When you ask someone the question, remember the answer. Because I have, I have hit that wall many a times personally as, as the person who's asking the question. And it's, first of all, embarrassing to yourself. Like, I'm always embarrassed when it happens to me. But on top of that, it just, it's not practical if, you, if you're asking the same question multiple times. That's, that's kind of my answer to that. You know, ask somebody, but make sure that you're, you're asking for yourself and for them. Something that I've ran into, because you know, I have different friends in different locations, a lot from Bible college, other people in ministry, but people I knew from a couple people from high school, I keep in contact with whatever family members, all sorts, right? All over the country, especially the Eastern half of the country. And something I've gotten a few times from people, they're either acquaintances or family members, whatever. When they've heard me teach on specific subjects, they'll say something to the effect of, well, I didn't know that. No one's ever told me that. And in some cases, I'm sure they have been told that and they just forgot. But in other cases, and this is probably a different episode sometime about how the church doesn't value well-educated pastors. Uh, and I, I think it's coming around now. I hope it's coming back around. But for a very long time, for several decades, the church really devalued the idea of a well-educated pastor. The pastor should be someone who's cool and someone who takes care of people. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if they know the Bible or not. That's kind of how the church thought. As a result, a lot of us who grew up in the church grew up in churches where the pastor didn't know the answer to the questions either. So if you are in a situation where you're evangelizing to someone or you're just talking to another Christian or whatever, and a question comes up that you don't know an answer to, you have no idea how to respond to it. And you go to your local pastor and your local pastor either 
gives you some BS answer that doesn't make any sense or straight up can't answer it for you. You have this wonderful thing called the internet. You can go out and find answers. And if you don't even know where to look, you can email us at realpockettheology at gmail.com. It doesn't always have to be a show question, right? You can just email us and say, hey, I got asked this. I don't know how to respond. And what we'll probably do, if it's a good question, is if even if it's a bad question, we'll answer you. Might take us a few weeks, but we'll answer you. And if it's a good question, we'll probably do a whole flipping podcast about it. And then we'll make sure you know when it's put out. Like there are resources and communities online that can answer questions your local community can't. And the greatest thing is, if neither one of us is your pastor and you're listening to this and you ask us a question, we have no real stake in the game besides your salvation and your knowledge. So we're not going to like, you know, pull any punches and answering your question because we're not scared of offending you. We're not scared of you leaving our church or whatever. Um, so we can be really brutally honest with you or maybe your pastor doesn't feel like they can be. So I would just kind of add that to the, cause I, I know people who are in that situation where their pastor wouldn't be able to answer the question either. But at, in this day and age with the resources we have, that's still no excuse to not learn. So Martin, do you think that that's a good place for us to cut this off? Just about, I have one more thing I want to add. Go for it. So many of you might be asking, well, what if people don't ask me questions? Well, Jesus had something to say about letting people approach you. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, which I will reference for the 5,000th time in this first week of the new year, um, Jesus has a teaching on salt and light, and he ends it this way. Uh, the second, you know, The second paragraph starts out in verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If nobody's asking you questions, they're not taking notes of the way that you're living your life, or your life isn't reflecting God at this point. That's, that's where this comes out to. If you are a believer, then Jesus tells us to take your good deeds, take the good things that you do, pile them all together so that when people look at you, they say, you're, you're a good person. Why are, you, why are you a good person? Or they'd say, well, you really enjoy serving instead of being served. Why is that? And when you, when you get asked those questions, you have the ability to answer I'm a good person because I believe that my God values that. I believe that my God commands me to do that. I'm not doing this because I'm a good person. I'm doing this because I love him. Or, well, you really like to serve instead of being served. What's up with that? Well, that's something that my, my God valued. My, my Lord, my Savior, Jesus, before he died, said that he came to the world not to be served, but to serve others, and then lowered himself to the position of a servant and to his disciples, the people that he had been teaching for three years, and served them just before he he would move to the cross and die. You know, those, you know, it's, it's as simple as something like that. Um, 
if you're you're serving at a food bank and people people are talking with you if you're regularly there they're going to notice right the same people tend to come to food banks pretty often if you're helping out in a ministry at your church and a new person comes in and says well hey what are you doing here you have the ability to answer that if you uh, have told your workplace like hey i cannot work on this day because i have something going on like i have i have this commitment that i've made to practice my faith to not just on sunday morning right uh, on saturdays well on saturdays i go and i do this i go and uh, i'll pick up trash on the street or something right just something that you're doing that shines that light to the world and when you do that you you should be asked questions you you should have it or it should be taken of notice by people and when they ask those questions you have the ability and the duty to point it to jesus himself yeah and if people aren't explicitly asking you questions like maybe people aren't walking up to you and saying i have seen you serving you must be a follower of jesus they're at least going to provide you openings and some of you will find you are very gifted at forcing the issue not most of you but some of you are going to find you are very gifted at taking the smallest opportunity and talking to other people about jesus there's one particular old lady her name is georgia if you go to berean you know her um that is amazingly talented at forcing the issue she has the smallest opportunity to talk to people about jesus or to ask them to come to church and she will do it and i've never heard of her offending anyone doing it in fact to the point where uh, a good friday service last year in 2022 she got two uh young mormon guys that were out doing door knocking to come to our very not mormon church for good friday service <laughs> Because that's just the kind of personality that she is. Um, and if you're gifted in that, then some of this advice may not apply to you. You may just have a feel for it and you just know how to start those conversations. That is a gift from God. Go for it. Because not many people have that gift. All right. We're going to end our episode there today. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Hopefully this helped prepare you to talk to others about Jesus. If you feel like you're not getting the opportunities, stay the course. Um, God has perfectly designed you to do the things in the body that he wants you to do. And that may not involve a ton of evangelism, or it may involve talking to someone about Jesus every other week. I don't know, but God does. Pray about it. Ask him what your role is. Continue to seek after him. And you may even see that role in his body changing over time. So thank you again so much for joining us. We hope this was helpful. Please rate us five stars, or at least four. We'll take four. Send us an email at realpockettheology at gmail.com if you have a question or something that you want answered or a potential future podcast episode, whatever. Otherwise, we will see you back here next week. Bye.